Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show and happy Monday. Millions of Americans tune in to watch the Super Bowl while simultaneously wondering if we are being invaded by aliens. <laughs> that is the actual headline today. Would have been the perfect time for President Biden to possibly, I don't know, appear for an actual news interview and address the bizarre but very real growing concerns about possible alien life over the continental United States and oceans around us as well. And Canada, by the way, even CNN is taking the president to task for being too silent on this. There is a lot to discuss today, and I am so happy to be joined by an old Fox News pal to discuss it all. This is going to be fun. Rick Leventhal is here. He is the author of the new book, Chasing Catastrophe. He's also co-host of The Rick and Kelly Show and The Daily Smash with his wife, Kelly Dodd of Real Housewives fame. Rick, it's so good to see you. How are you? You too, Megan. I'm doing fantastic. And uh, I'm so proud of you and, and all that you've done. Um, it, I'm following your career and your success. And it's, it's amazing. So good for Aww. you. Oh, my gosh. It's wonderful to lay eyes on you. We go way, way back, you and I. And <laughs> I'm do. so happy to see this book. And I was like, oh, great. This is a great excuse to get the band back together and, and talk about yeah. old times and Fox and media. Um, but let's kick it off with the news because it's so it's so plentiful today, Rick. My God, <laughs> the thing about the aliens I mean, it's crazy to me. This is real. Like we're actually having serious discussions about whether we're being invaded and why over the past eight days we've had to shoot down Uh by my count now four unidentified aerial uh, projectiles. I can't remember what we call them, Steve. UAPs. Phenomenon. Phenomenon. That's that's the official term, not not UFOs anymore. Um, So just to get the audience up to speak, we've had. okay, so there's. There was one off the South Carolina coast last Saturday, you know, a week, 10 days ago. Then on Friday, we shot one down, smaller balloon or object. The the military is calling it an object um, uh, over Alaska. Then on Saturday, we shot one down over Canada. Then yesterday, we shot one down over Lake Huron. They're everywhere. These things, (laughs) they're everywhere. And here's what the military is saying. Okay, the Air Force commander who's running NORAD. This is the same guy who said, well, we, you know, there were a few during the Trump administration too that we didn't know about because we have a domain awareness gap, which now apparently they've solved and they're everywhere. And he said, when asked by a reporter if extraterrestrials might be involved, General Van Herc responded, he would leave that to the intel agencies, but quote, I haven't ruled anything out. He says, I'll let the intel community (laughs) and the counterintelligence, right? He says, I'll let them figure that out. I haven't ruled out anything at this point. We continue to assess every threat or potential threat uh, unknown that that approaches North America with an attempt to identify it. He said, unlike the Chinese spy balloon, all three UFOs or AEPs gunned down over the weekend were of a similar size and speed. We're calling them objects, not balloons for a reason. This is the first time within United States or American airspace that NORAD has taken this kind of kinetic action against an airborne object. So what do you make of it as a seasoned reporter who's covered a lot of breaking news over your time, including military news? What do you make of it? 
Uh, it's bizarre, first and foremost. And I think the reason why people are freaking out is because the military isn't giving a whole lot of information. It would seem as if, if they knew that these were some sort of alien spacecraft, that they would, if they knew it, then they should share that information. If they knew it, then they would be tracking that uh, spaceship to the ground and then collecting it. And I don't know, do they take it to, what is it, Area 52? What's the what's the right, place in Nevada? Right, right. 51. Yeah, thank you, 51. Maybe 52 is the next one they're going to open up. But right. we need something. I mean, it, it's as hard as it is to believe that that might actually be the case. It's also kind of, um, it would be presumptuous to assume that we're the only, you know, intelligent life forms in, in this universe. And it's only a matter of time before we do have spaceships buzzing overhead. But if they were alien spaceships, why would they shoot them down? You know, why wouldn't they just sort of corral them somehow or try to bring them to the ground so they could talk to the alien pilots on board? Mm. Uh, the whole thing there, there is were so no bizarre, pilots. Megan. That- there were no pilots, but but they were. I mean, we are getting conflicting reports now. It's actually kind of creepy. Let me let me read you what they're saying. Um, okay, please. That we're getting we're getting differing descriptions of the objects and whether like how problematic they were. Hold on, I'm checking my notes just to get the latest. Uh, because some some pilots said that they seem to have some sort of control or that they were they were messing with our control our controls. And other pilots said no, they didn't see that. Here it is. Uh, pilots gave different accounts of what they observed coming near the object. A source briefed on the intel told CNN some pilots said it interfered with their sensors, our pilot sensors. Other pilots said they did not experience that. Um, a little bit more, the the latest object, I think this is the one that they, they, they got on Saturday, appeared to be a small metallic balloon with a tethered payload. Who knows what that means? What what the hell is a tethered well, payload? OK, no, so, so just to be more realistic. What? In all likelihood, these are probably similar to the balloon that China flew over the U.S. They're yep. intelligence gathering UAVs, right? So they, they send them up over our airspace to suck whatever they can out of our out of our air that might help them with their spying. Yep. And we do the same thing. So these are unmanned aerial vehicles that they fly way high in the sky to try and gather as much intelligence as they can. Why all of a sudden we're finding them? Sorry, my earpiece is falling out. Why all of a sudden now the military is finding them and shooting them down is is a good question. Uh, I think you mentioned something about how they they plugged a hole in their in their systems and now they're mm-hmm. seeing them. Mm-hmm. It's good news, I guess. But why did it take this long? We kind of know why. Yeah, because this guy, um, again, who who this. Um get his name correctly, General Van Herc, again, domain awareness gap prior to right now. Right. He came out and told the New York Times after the transit of the Chinese spy balloon last week, uh, NORAD adjusted its radar system to make it more sensitive. Way to go, oh. NORAD. As a result, well. the number of objects it detected increased sharply. In other <laughs> words, NORAD is picking up more incursions because it is looking for them. Right. I mean, this is crazy. So how many have there been all this time well, over the past the 10 years? Right. And like, is it true that we're just now picking up on things that have been there all along? Or is it the case that actually there is an, an uptick in what's coming over the United States because it's coming? I don't know from where. Well, I, it certainly seems as if now they're seeing them because they're trying to see them. Whereas before they were most likely there and we just weren't either looking for them or we weren't properly 
uh, applying the technology we have to find them. So I think what this tells you is that, that we've been spied on for a very long time by who knows who. And now we're starting to see those those the spy technology and we're shooting them down, which is great if you don't want to be spied on. Uh, but it's also uh, a reminder that there's a lot of stuff that we probably have already ex given them and, and we've been exposed for a long time. Yeah. And you pointed out that, you know, what do we have over there that made us reluctant to shoot down spy balloon number one? Right. Is that was that playing into our reluctance to, to shoot this thing down and let it cross over the entire United States before we did anything about it? Now, um, this is GOP representative Mike Turner of Ohio. Now he says we're trigger happy. Look, at we're shooting down everything. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> he, well, he says, look, it's preferable. As long as there's no to, one on board, to... I'm, I'm fully, I fully support it. As long as there's no one on board and it's not ours, it doesn't belong here. They're violating our airspace. So get them out yes. of here. Yeah. Waiting for them to cross the entire country seems to be like shooting yourself in the foot because you're letting them get everything they can possibly get. And by the way, I'm sure they're real time streaming that to whatever yes. you know base they have somewhere. Exactly right. It's not like it needs to get back home for it to deliver all the information. It seems like it is right. transmitting. So why would we let it go all the way across the United States? Even the Democratic Senator John Tester of Montana, which has been the site of at least one of these, um, comes out and says, this is craziness. He says, what's gone on the last two weeks or so, last 10 days has been nothing short of craziness. The military needs a plan to determine what's out there and then determine the dangers that go with it. So this is, you know, a bipartisan concern. And is it weird, do you think, Rick, that like now we've got four, okay, we got four in yeah. eight days that the president hasn't addressed this at all? I mean, because Americans already were a little freaked out about UFOs or UAPs. Or, remember, we had the whole big report last year about what's really out there and are they being transparent with us? And the answer is no, they're not. Um, it's almost more suspicious, like it's only going to add to the conspiracy theories or the concerns about aliens the longer he stays silent about it. <laughs> well, let me just say this. If if President Trump were still in office, you know he'd be talking about it. Yes. And he'd be like, we're going to shoot down everything in the sky that's not ours. <laughs> we're going after all these things. You know, he, he yeah. would not be hiding in the White House, not doing a Super Bowl interview and not talking about aircraft being shot down or, or unmanned aircraft being shot down over the United States. He'd be out front on it. And I think the American people deserve that. You know, right now, citizens from the West Coast to the East Coast are out there with their binoculars. The every, like every citizen NORAD wannabe is out there like, I see it. I see it. Yeah. There was, yeah. There was There's meme. another one. There was a great meme online. Debbie uh, Murphy, my producer, sent it no, to there, me of this Megan, person. there could it be was like hundreds a of them. There could be hundreds of them up there. there we don't know, are. do we? They're, NORAD's probably identifying multiple right now. We're going to shoot them all. I'm going to get my little yeah. slingshot and see what I can do. There was one she sent me this meme of this person who was like, I see it. I see it. It, it. I turned out to be bird poop on their window, which could easily be confused for it looks similar to the balloon. <laughs> but well, this is the our one future. Thing, the, I think it was the first one that the balloon they said was like three times the size of a school bus. Yes. So I kind of get why they wouldn't want to just shoot it down randomly. But the odds of it hitting something, as long as it's not over a major city or, or populated area, the odds of it hitting something meaningful are, are pretty slim when you think about how spread out everything is across most of America. Well, in that one, they, they, they first spotted it over Alaska. So why didn't right. they just shoot it down over Alaska, which they've now proven is completely safe and they can do right They, they spent eight days telling us, oh, well, this, that, the other thing. They're yeah. perfectly capable of shooting these things down over Alaska because they they then did that with one of these smaller, quote, 
objects. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> I'd like to talk to the pilots who are up flying up that high, who targeting these things. Oh my gosh. You know, they 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 got a good look at it. I'd like to know what they saw. And I think that the military, while well, I understand the Pentagon is 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 tight-lipped and you know, a lot of this stuff is classified, but give us a little more. You know, give mm-hmm. give us a little better sense of what it is exactly that's flying over the the United States, a little better sense of what it is that you're shooting down and why you're shooting it down. I, I think they could give us um, a better picture of what's going on. Something's happening in Montana, too, because like I say, we had the one off the South Carolina coast start, started in Alaska, spotted in Montana. Then it, we shot it down the Chinese spy balloon uh, last two Saturdays ago. Then we get... Um, Another thing in Alaska, which we shoot down. Then we get something over Canada, which NORAD shoots down. Then we get the thing over Lake Huron, which we shoot down. But in the midst of all this, in the midst of all this, yet another report out of Montana. This is Saturday. Airspace briefly closed over Montana before being quickly reopened after a radar anomaly prompted a jet to investigate. Fighter jets were scrambled and uh, airspace over a a town. uh, Forgive me. I don't know how to pronounce it. Havre. H-A-V-R-E, a town of 10,000 people, 30 miles south of the Canadian border, was shut. The airspace shut at 7.50 p.m. before re- being reopened about 50 minutes later. Uh, they're saying that, uh, let's see, Mont- Montana Congressman Matt Rosendale said he told he was told the Pentagon would follow the object, but they were unable to shoot it down because it was dark. Then NORAD issued a statement shortly <laughs> after leaving it unclear whether there was indeed an object at all or whether it was a false alarm. My God, I'm sorry, Rick, but I'm going to have to do it. It reminds one of this famous scene. Watch. It's a scene from Independence Day as the aliens invade and that guy's reaction about sums it up. That's next, Megan. That's next. (laughs) Gotta wonder, like, let's just spend a minute on what if what if it isn't from the Chinese? Okay, like why there's a reason this guy wouldn't rule it out, right? The NORAD commander wouldn't rule it out. I'm not ruling anything out. What what if it is from another planet and they're like doing some recon? (laughs) You know, it'd be kind of cool if it was, let's be honest. It'd be a lot more sexy if it was from another world than if it's from China or some other country that wants to spy on us. The likelihood is it's another UAV of some kind of spy technology, and they're gathering all of the electronic intelligence they can every chance they get. What's in Montana? I don't know, but something good must be in Montana because they're spending yes. a lot of time over there. Um, yes. I think that, you know, the, the question remains is how many more are there? Are there really that many that they can shoot down that many in a short amount of time? And who knows? <laughs> I mean, it probably doesn't take that much to build these things. And we know how far the technology has advanced over the last few years. So, I mean, I don't know, but aliens this isn't over. This isn't over. We're going to get more and more reports now that NORAD's paying attention. But here's a couple. Here's an interesting twist. So I'm, I've been mentioning Air Force General Glenn Van Herc, right, of NORAD. And he's saying we haven't ruled anything out. 
Uh, can't re- I haven't ruled anything out. We continue to assess. Um, okay, so that got people's attention, right? It, it appeared in the New York Times. And um, this is courtesy of Mediate, which is paying attention to the reporting on this. So he doesn't rule out aliens. And the New York Times reports that. And the original quote included the quote I read to you from Glenn Van Herc, right? But then, then, um, okay, let me just read from the Mediate report. So the New York Times Pentagon correspondent, Helene Cooper, who co-wrote the article, asked about this tidbit, right? You can't rule anything out during the presser with Van Herc. And she says, because you still haven't been able to tell us what these things are that we're shooting out of the sky, that raises the question, have you ruled out aliens or extraterrestrial uh, or ETs? And if so, why? Because that's what everyone's asking right now. And that's where he, he goes on to say, I haven't ruled anything out. We continue to assess every threat. After the presser, the article of the New York Times was changed. And that paragraph I read to you was removed. At a different point in the article, it now has this added. Asked during a news conference on Sunday whether he had ruled out ET origins, General Glenn Van Herc, the commander of the Air Force's Northern Command, said, I haven't ruled out anything at this point. And now the New York Times reports it this way, Rick. But in interviews Sunday, national security officials discounted any thoughts that what the Air Force shot out of the sky represented any sort of alien visitors. No one, one senior official said, thinks these things are anything other than devices fashioned here on Earth. And the report goes on to say, although this is the Mediate report, although that does update and add to the story on the subject of the public's imagination regarding UFOs, it leaves out entirely the news earlier reported by The Times that the Biden administration was making private assurances to people that we were not being invaded from space, reporting that no longer (laughs) appears anywhere in the article. (laughs) This is insane. Um I have to say, Megan, in my 35 year reporting career, I don't believe I ever asked a question of any official about whether or not something was an alien life form or an alien spaceship. I don't think I ever asked that question. I think perhaps the person who was answering the question was just trying to cover all his bases and didn't know if he was authorized to to say, in fact, that it wasn't that. So maybe he was just trying to keep all options open or keep people Mm -hmm. guessing. But I think it's most likely not. It sounds like they probably pulled the New York Times aside after the press conference and said, listen, guys, you know, I appreciate the question. Don't but fan no, this was not fan, a UFO. Don't fan those this, fires. <laughs> OK, the fact that you never asked anybody, hashtag part of the problem, Rick, hashtag part of the problem. Uh, where, why weren't you on this? OK, but here's yeah. the best. Here's the best, best piece of this whole story. OK, so okay. we did we did shoot one down. NORAD shot down, you know, the. The Air Force shot down all the ones in the United States and NORAD, um, which is a North American group uh, that targets any sort of air threats, uh, worked with Canada to shoot down the one over Canadian airspace. And that what we're told is that this was approved per a White House statement by both President Biden and Justin Trudeau. They both approved the shoot. I mean, I'm sorry, but I can't okay. think of two more feckless leaders sitting there like, what do you think? What do you think? What, what do you think? <laughs> OK, sorry. But Justin Trudeau, like the fact that he had to approve anything. OK, I'm sure we made the decision. Um, so Corinne Jean-Pierre gets asked about it um, on MSNBC over the weekend. Norad shot it down over Canadian airspace. What's going on? Oh, my God. Rick Leventhal, please listen yes. to this soundbite and listen to the last word in particular that she okay. says. Why is why is the American military shooting something out of the sky over Canada? Because it's part of a NORAD. There is a, the NORAD is part of like a 
part of a, it's a, it's a, what you call a coalition, a consortium, so a pact, okay. exactly. And so that's why we were able to do that. Again, it, we didn't do it on our own. We did right. it in, in, uh, in, uh, it clearly in, 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 in step with uh, right. Canada. Canada. Uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> What's it called? A coalition? Canada? Canada. It literally sounds like a disease you get in college if you're not careful. Not <laughs> <laughs> for the record, I've never had Canada. Never. But I have but, I have been to Canada. But you you know you've been with the military overseas, right? It sounds like oh my god, he needs some antibiotics for his Canada. He got it over there in Iraq. <laughs> what the hell is that? I mean, what is going on? This is why I never wanted to cover politics in Washington, Megan. This is why I stayed in New York City for most of my career. <laughs> I didn't want anything to do with those knuckleheads on Capitol Hill. Okay. Yeah. Isn't so it terrifying that her her job is to be an effective communicator, Rick? She's kind of one step away from our business. It's literally her job to communicate clearly. Yeah. How's how's that going? How's she doing? It's horrifying. I miss John Spicer. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> me too, actually. I, I can't even watch those news conferences anymore at the White House. I can't. I can't watch it. It's just so ridiculous. It's embarrassing, right? I have secondhand embarrassment. Like, I think so. Clearly, I think that's a good word. She never heard of NORAD. And uh, once again, because it's a pattern with her, refused to do her uh -huh. homework before making an appearance about it. Right. Like I, re I recognize most of us aren't talking about NORAD every day. I was saying the other day, it's like to me, it makes me think of war games. We're now at DEFCON 1. Um, but I don't have her job. And I wasn't about to go on all the Sunday shows talking about the three or four or however many had been at that point. Right. Un unmanned aerial vehicles that we had shot down, including one with Canada, which was done by NORAD. Like, do your damn homework. Try yeah. a little. Stop embarrassing yourself, womankind, and the American people by being so inarticulate and obviously mm -hmm. uninformed. You'd think that you would be fully briefed, fully read up. I mean, I'm sure they gave her talking points, but maybe practice it a little bit. Maybe rehearse it. Get to know your information better. Get to know the subject you're talking about and then talk about it. Do we think that she knows it's Canada? We, just... <laughs> and not Canada. <laughs> Where is Canada? I'm scared. I'm scared. Um, okay, so that was my favorite story. All right, so let's switch to Insane. the Super Bowl because uh, there were there were things coming down from the sky and there were balls being thrown across across the sky at a much lower altitude. Yes, uh, by the way, were. just FYI, the objects we shot down were reportedly around 20,000 feet. The Chinese spy balloon was more like 40,000 feet. That's why the Biden administration is saying it was fine to shoot down. Like we had to shoot it down because it was a potential airplane airspace. Unlike mm -hmm. that Chinese balloon, we got all this heat for not shooting until it got over South Carolina waters. Um, OK, so Super Bowl last night. Did you watch it? Of course. Yeah. I watched what the whole game. You, who are you rooting for? I was rooting for the Chiefs. I, I love the Chiefs. And I grew up in the D.C. area uh, when we used to have a team called the Redskins. And they were my team. And the Redskins are in the same uh, division as the Eagles. So I hated the Eagles, hated the Giants. And I can't root for the Eagles because they were one of the enemies of the Redskins. So, of course, I rooted for the Chiefs. And, and I was very happy to see them win. I wasn't happy that I didn't hit any of my squares. You know, I had some Super Bowl box squares. Yep. You know, yep. those those pools. And I haven't won in like, I don't know, five or six years. So I was very disappointed in that. But the game itself was <laughs> terrific. I mean, this was oh. one of the best Super Bowls I think most of us have ever seen. It was re a really good game. 
It was. It was exciting. Even for the non-sports person like me, my husband's yeah. um, he's on a guy's weekend with his buddies. So all from Philly. So they watched it together. But I watched it with my kids. We did the box thing. Um, it was funny because we had to fill some in because we didn't have enough people anyway. We, and we, we filled it in with like, if you if they if it's this score at the end of the first quarter, you have to say the everybody in the family has to say the alphabet backward, which is what happened. Oh. <laughs> if it's this, I can you got to run around. You gotta, it was, it's hard. It's more challenging than I would have thought. Um, Anyway, so I will Would tell you, you like I won them all. Can you, you actually won do all it, like, the, right now? All the boxes? I won them all. I won every single one. Wow, so I, was, I was nice. I, I didn't take their money. I told them they were going to have to do whatever I said this week, which is a better payment well, to me. Well, you know what I was doing? It was like, okay, if each team scores a field goal before the end of the quarter, then we'll hit our numbers. All right, now this team has to score a touchdown and a safety yeah, and then safety. miss the extra point. You know, stuff like that. None of it worked out. It's funny how it's it does stop you from rooting for your actual team. It becomes all about what your chart is and whether you're going to hit your bet. Right? It's like yeah. you couldn't care less about your the team you're rooting for. It's, it's like when I played fantasy football. You know, all I cared about was if my running back on the Chiefs got over 100 yards and scored two touchdowns. I didn't care what the game was happening in the game at all. And right. you know, I'm rooting for the receiver on the other side because he's on my team too. So it, it just changes the game completely. But, totally. you know, I do love football and I and I, I love the spectacle of it. And uh, we, we were at a party here in uh, Newport Beach and had a great time. Slightly Wait, hungover. Can, can you really do the alphabet? Say the alphabet backwards. Can I hear that? Oh, yeah. Z-Y-X-W-V-U-T-S-R-Q-P-O-N-M-L-K-J-I-H-G-F-U-D-C-B-A. <laughs> Why do you have that skill? You know, we were uh, driving cross country. My family was when I was like 15 years old. I'm sitting in the backseat of our Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. I'm bored out of my mind. So I just wrote down the alphabet on a piece of paper and then just started practicing reading it backwards. I don't know why I did that. But since the age of 15, I've been able to say it pretty much as fast as I can say it forward. I can say it backwards. Oh, my God. That was amazing. Who knew? And that is a skill I've never revealed before, Megan. I'm breaking news. for you. Thank you. Right here, right now. I mean, honestly, like we, we used to sing. We used to sing songs in the back of my parents' station wagon. We didn't do anything useful. That's, that's useful. <laughs> I, I taught myself something. I encourage no, we, all young people today to do the same thing. They're on you never the know when it'll come in handy. Yeah, they're learning absolutely nothing. They're playing games on the iPad, but now <laughs> I'm resolved to try harder. Remember all those songs yeah. you'd sing? It was like the 99 bottles of beer on the ball and Give God Your Glory, Glory. It was like all those yes. camp songs in the backseat of the big station wagon, which was so unsafe. Did you have the one where like you were in the way, way back? Where like we there did was a rear ender? We did have, ours didn't have that gonna. seat. Ours didn't have the seat in the, the in the way back, but we did have a, a country sedan, a Ford country sedan. And sometimes we'd sit in the way back, but there were, you know, no seat belts, obviously. We're just See, rolling around back there. We we were like high class. We had the little like living room in the back of <laughs> the way, way back of the station wagon. Where That's fancy. You could sit the little, it would open up and there were like, there was a little seat there. A little oh seat yeah, here, I remember could, that. Did you have the like wood paneling pit. on the side? Yes, of, the of course. Of yeah. course. How that's, many that's people- upgrade died that didn't have to as a result of that you were living large <laughs> dangerously right dangerous good god one small fender bender and you're a goner um perhaps put their child speaking back of there. which so super bowl all right so back to the super bowl so i had to root i i know the rule is if you love like the giants or the, in the same league you're supposed to root against them but i had to uh, root for the eagles even though they're part of the same league as, as the giants because of my oh. husband we have a rivalry anyway. I like the Giants and he likes the Eagles and we're fighting okay. over our children. 
So I rooted for them because Doug loved them. Um, and I really did want them to win by the end. And then I will tell you, it was like the Chiefs played well. And I think Mahomes is really cool. He's such an interesting player. Like he's such a, I, like, how does he make those short little surprising shots everywhere? He, he misses nothing. It's like yeah. he wants the ball to go in a certain spot and he makes it under against all odds. However, I was not a big fan of Travis Kelsey, right? From the Chiefs. He's, really? He's got the brother on the Eagles. Uh, yeah. He was fine during the game, but what was with his bitterness after the game? I'll play you the song. Man, one of y'all said the Chiefs were going to take it home this year. Not a single one. Feel that. Feel it. And on top of that, next time the Chiefs say something, put some respect on our name. We had an unbelievable run, and man, it feels good. Not man, one of y'all said the Chiefs were going to win it. And look at us now. Oh, my God. Come that on. Be a good no winner. No one said they were going to win, really. I think probably half of America at least thought the Chiefs were going to win. Why would he say that? Why so bitter after winning? It was the pregame. One of them was the pregame show. One of them was the postgame. Well, I don't I know. Mean, Steve the, is one of the most one of the winningest teams in the NFL over the last few years. And and by the way, I'm a big fan of Travis Kelsey on the field. The guy is amazing. And yeah. Mahomes too, playing through injury. You know, ankle injuries are tough. And he hurt his ankle again in that game, yeah. but he Sigh. stayed in the game. And he actually scrambled for, I don't know, 20, 30 yards at one point on his bad ankle and, and never showed any sign that he would – guarantee you that guy is hurting today and He's will be. But he knew that he would have plenty of time to recover once the game was over. And I love the fact that he just sucked it up and, and, and played hard uh, till the end of the game. And yes, Kel Kelsey's a monster, all right? I've had that guy. He was on my fantasy team like two or three years in a row. I I, I picked him every year because I knew he would produce, and and he he's awesome. I think he he he's at second all time in touchdowns in Super Bowls. He's he's a really good player. But saying that nobody picked them is ridiculous. Uh, I guess Steve Cracker is telling me it was during the uh, I guess Fox pre pre show game. Nobody picked them, but who cares? Like who that then proves everybody wrong. Doesn't just go out there and say like, yeah, you know, they didn't believe we could do it, but we did it. And thanks and love everybody. Like he's bitter, like he's mad about the pregame predictions. I thought it oh. was a low moment for him. Um, yeah. He should stay classy like his mama who had a boy on the Eagles and a boy on the Chiefs and wore a great jersey that was split right down the middle. Chiefs uh -huh. and Eagles. What'd you say, Abs? Yeah, she needs to know where she got it because we have to do this in my family since we're Giants and, and Eagles fans. We were we, we tried to create that in my family. But anyway, that was a nice storyline. Just one down there. All right. So there's a lot more to go through the Super Bowl. The Rihanna halftime show, the the all female flyover, the the Joe Biden stiff arm to the you know, Fox interviewers. We're going to pause, do a quick break and pick it up there with so many more Super Bowl storylines. What did you think of the Super Bowl? Did you like it? Did you like the halftime show? Did you like the commercials? Email me, Megan at MeganKelly.com. Pure Talk is once again investing in their customers without charging an extra penny because Pure Talk is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. That's right. As you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless provider has you covered at home and abroad. Pure Talk already puts you on America's most dependable 5G network, but now they're giving you coverage in over 50 countries as well. Unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than the half of what Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile will charge you. If you bring your phone, PureTalk's eSIM technology will make switching so simple. 
or you can get great savings on the latest iPhones and Androids. Consider making the switch to Pure Talk. Just go to puretalk.com slash Kelly to start saving today. And when you do, you will save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, visit puretalk.com slash Kelly to start saving on wireless at home and abroad. Can I tell you, like, it wasn't as bad as it's been in years past, but it was a woke Super Bowl and it was annoying. Um, why did we need the all-female flyover, which they, Fox, I mean, even on Fox, they were sure to highlight it's an all-female flyover. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you for reminding me that women can be pilots. I didn't know that. And then, of course, we had to have the Black National Anthem in addition to the regular National Anthem, which is totally divisive. There is no reason to have a Black National Anthem sung before the Super Bowl. But there's one National Anthem. It unites us all. It's about love of country. There's no point in dividing us by race, going into something that is already unifying as a country. And then we had a parade of left wing celebrities all over the ads from Amy Schumer uh, to Ben Affleck, who won't even act with a Republican. He refuses to act across anybody who's openly Republican to Serena Williams. Like you could go go down the list. And all I could think was like. They don't get it right. The people who put together the entertainment, who put together the ads, they're not even trying to, like, think about the other half of the country. They're just pandering. They just want to pander, pander, pander. And it's fine. The game was great, but it is a slight irritant as you're watching the game. I have to agree. And I wonder why that is, why this keeps happening. Why can't we be united? Why can't we all be included in and in, in anything and everything entertainment wise? I didn't know that Ben Affleck wouldn't act with Republicans. I never heard that before. Yep. I do yep. know that there are a lot of actors in Hollywood who are afraid to be honest about their political leanings because they're concerned about being canceled. And that's happening um, in every industry. So I'm not surprised, but I am disappointed. Yeah. And didn't hear. So we'll get to your your family and all that. But you you married a real housewife from Orange County. Yeah. And she's no longer on the show. But you my understanding is there was some blowback against her for pushing back on some of like the the mask mandates and some of the overreaches by the Fauci administration. Like she, yeah. even as a real housewife, she was getting blowback for just taking positions which are very accepted now. And she has a lot of fans who are convinced that the only reason she's no longer a housewife is because she didn't agree politically with the leanings, the left leanings of Bravo and Andy Cohen, who you know runs that franchise. She believes and mo- many of her most of her supporters believe that the only reason she's off the show is because she dared to voice her opposition to mask mandates, to schools closing, to businesses closing and and question the f- efficacy of masks and the other uh things that, that people were doing to, to allegedly try and protect us. And Megan, I'm sure you saw that study that came out recently that said that masks, it turns out, were only about 5% effective in keeping people from getting COVID. 5%, mm-hmm. which is negligible. So mm-hmm. Kelly was right. She was really right all along about how ridiculous it was, right about shutting down. Why would you shut down schools? Why would you make little kids wear masks when they're the least likely to suffer any kind of consequences from it? You know, she was willing to put herself out there and she was too real for the Real Housewives. Right, right, exactly. It, you can't be real on The Real Housewives or elsewhere if you're a Republican or, or if you're at all conservative or even just uh, heterodox in your views when it comes to their sacred cows, whether it's COVID and the vaccines and the masks or BLM or the trans, you know, radical trans ideology. These are certain things you're not allowed to know. There will be no divergence of opinion on these sacred cows. Right. 
You have to toe the line. You have to agree with what the government is telling you or else. You know, if you, if you dare to speak up, and I've never seen anything like this. I'm sorry, Mike. And in the last two years, this whole world, the whole environment has changed so dramatically where any alternative voices are being silenced or ridiculed. I mean, what, the world has has just turned on its side. And, and I really don't mm-hmm. understand why and I don't get where we're going. And I hope that it doesn't continue. Well, it's, it's like ironic to me because Fox ran promos for Greg Gutfeld and his late night show, which is doing great. And I love to see it. I mean, this guy who worked so hard started Red Eye. It was like this middle yeah. of the night thing. And Greg toiled away on it when nobody was watching. And then it became uh-huh. a cult hit. And now he really is the king of late night. He's crushing Colbert and Fallon and Kimmel. And you love to see it. So Fox gave him promos. But on the same program, right? So why did he become number one? Because he's doing comedy. He's not afraid to push back against the Biden administration or some of these things we're talking about. And it's working. But still, we're supposed to celebrate Amy Schumer and Ben Affleck and the all female thing and the national black. And it's like they don't get it. The American people are not into this. Well, a lot of people needed someone like Gutfeld to do a late night show because the others were cookie cutter and they were all appealing to the same audience. And there are a lot of conservatives out there who felt like they were being made fun of every night on the on the, on the late shows. And why would they watch that? But, you know, Gutfeld's actually telling jokes that they can they can laugh at. So he's doing very well. I was on Red Eye with him many, many times. In fact, I did Gutfeld to promote my book, Chasing Catastrophe, a couple of weeks ago. Um, the guy is really clever and really funny. And, and it was a, it was a great little promo. And I was really happy to see that. And I'm happy for his success as well. But, you know, it, it, it's again, it's just sort of this this trend to ignore anyone who doesn't agree with, I, I don't know, the current administration. Mm hmm. And he's funny. I mean, he's just he's always been clever and he's generous with his guests, too. I I had some <laughs> some early appearances on Red Eye, which were really fun in my career. Um, how about Rihanna? I will say Rihanna came back for the first time since 2016. She hasn't dropped an album since 2016. And yeah. I was excited to see what would happen. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of underwhelmed. <laughs> well, I was wondering how much of the music she was actually singing. It appeared to me that she was lip syncing for most of it. She might have sang some pieces of one of the first couple of songs and maybe at the end a little bit. But honestly, Megan, all I kept focusing on was how you kept hearing her voice even when she wasn't opening her mouth or holding the microphone near her mouth. I saw the same thing. It's like it's a lip sync show. It's not like an actual concert. I don't know. I love those floating platforms. Those things were really cool. And I saw there was some kind of tether, like they were, they were locked in or she had something holding her from behind just in case something went wrong. It looked like to me, but I mean, to be surfing above the field like that on some plastic shield, when you're pregnant, as it turns out, you know, Mm -hmm. that's pretty ballsy. Um, I think I, I laughed. I, I think somebody was, online, somebody online was did, like put in um, the Donkey Kong guy, you know, like because you oh, know yeah, how Donkey Kong, yeah. you go up and down the, the platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, it did kind of look like that, didn't it? Um, listen, I she's she's got great music. You know, I, I do like her music or at least some of it. Um, but my whole thing is, you know, I, I appreciate real artistry and I want 
I want artists to sing. And I get that the acoustics might be bad or it might, you know, that, that she wants to sound good. She wants to sell more records. But, you know, just, I don't know, just sing. Don't don't pretend to sing. Well, or, or and what dance, are we doing? too. It would be nice if she would dance. I mean, people are like, oh, well, she was pregnant. Well, you can dance when you're pregnant. Why are we pretending that that's not a possibility? Like, it, of course, everybody was like, did she not lose her baby weight? Because she had a baby in May. She was nine months postpartum because you could tell she had a baby bump. And it was like, well, that's nine months is a little far to be looking like pregnant still. And but it turns wait, out she I is thought pregnant. she was pregnant. Didn't she they is, say that she, she actually is pregnant? Yes. But before she revealed that, like her spokesperson didn't come out oh. and say she's pregnant until <laughs> after the performance. So everybody was looking at the baby bump being like, yeah, is she just celebrating like the old baby bump? Is this a new baby bump? What is happening with the with the baby bump? Well, I can tell um, you that I, my wife and her girlfriends at this party last night were all focused on the baby bump. They all course. noticed it. And they said, we, she's pregnant. It looks like she's pregnant. So that was, you know, the buzz at halftime. I will say tip of the hat to her for the tease because she said something like, I might bring a special guest, <laughs> which is kind of <laughs> cute. But I mean, she didn't bring any, you know, normally they, they'll bring in some other stars, like a surprise. She wasn't really dancing. And I, as, I just yeah. got to say, like, to me, it felt a little phoned in. Even the New York Times had a review out today saying well, she got yeah. up there. She kind of well, phoned it in. She she made sure to promote her makeup brand while she did her makeup. Oh, yeah. Like, that was clever. I mean, I was like, <laughs> that was kind of clever. Try a little harder. Uh, I don't know. You know, she 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 boy she said she was boycotting the Super Bowl a few a years, years ago, ago over the whole Colin Kaepernick thing. She yeah. was asked to do the Super Bowl, I think, in 2019 and turned it down. And there are a lot of people who are questioning her commitment to whatever cause it was that she was trying to promote by saying, oh, you sold out. Why would you do the Super Bowl now when you wouldn't do it four years ago? Mm, that's a good question, because she said. What kind of a person would I be if I didn't stand with Colin Kaepernick and that if I sold out and did this, the Super Bowl show? And now I was like, well, yeah. you tell us, what kind of a person are you? Because you're out a, there doing it. A person it who wants to make money brand. on their makeup line. Right. <laughs> exactly. So, hey, uh, hey. Uh, yeah. find this. I'm not sure. I, I feel like when the New York Times is kind of discussing it as lackluster, I don't know. I thought the um, notwithstanding the fact that Ben Affleck is kind of a jerk and won't act with Republicans, I thought his Dunkin Donuts commercial was kind of cute. I'm not going to lie with J-Lo. It was yeah. cute how she was like, what are you doing here? I don't know if people have saw it, but we have the we have a little bit of it. What are you doing here? Me, is this friends. what you do when you say you want to work all day? I, I got to go, guys. Grab me a glaze. Uh, it was kind of cute. Uh, those two. I don't know. What's the over under on that marriage? Twelve. Well, actually, months. we talked about that on our podcast, the Rick and Kelly show and, and the Daily Smash on YouTube. We, Kelly and I talked about that. And I think I gave them two years. I think yeah. she gave them a year and a half. I think that's about right. I think that I'll, I'll take the under on even 18 months. <laughs> We were we were having a good time with that video from the Grammys when she shushed him, you know, like she said, like, show some like smile, like don't act like because because he became this meme and everyone was talking about how miserable he was at the, at the yeah. Grammys and he never like woke up. It didn't look like he ever really put a smile on his face. He just wanted to sit there and look unhappy. And she well, was not happy with him being unhappy. This looks like one of the problems of this relationship. He's obviously got a massive problem with alcohol that. I don't know whether it's under control at the moment or not, um, but he's struggled with it over the years. I think he's sober now, but um, she doesn't drink at all. She's very driven. She seems very organized. She seems like an A uh -huh. personality. He's more like curmudgeonly, kind of <laughs> dour. He yeah. is like this is I that clip at the Grammys 
to me, was emblematic of what we know about their relationship. And I maintain the reason that they reunited in the first place was not out of love. It was a PR move on her part because she got cheated on by A-Rod. And J-Lo wasn't going to sit there being the victim of A-Rod. She went out there, reunited with somebody to change the the narrative. That's how PR works. And the next thing you know, you saw Ben Affleck and J-Lo on this yacht. And suddenly, in like two seconds, they're back in love. Meanwhile, she was engaged to A-Rod like, you know, the day before. And now they went ahead and got married. And I just not. mm, I don't think so, Rick. You know, there's a reason why you break up with someone. Everyone's had a breakup and everyone. A lot of people probably have gone back to the ex and then remembered why they broke up in the first place. And then they broke up again. So to think that, you know, this is going to last a really long time would, I think, be. I mean, you're kidding yourself. If you think it's going to last and I'm not no disrespect, if they do last great, I'm happy for them. Maybe maybe they were meant to be all along. But Mm. typically when you have a relationship and it doesn't work out, it's because of issues between the two people that are not going to resolve themselves by being apart for a few months. Typically, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it can't happen. I just don't think it will. All right. I got to ask you something sports related, which I almost never do, but I am kind of curious. So a lot of Eagles fans are very angry about that one last penalty against the Eagles guy that cost them, what was it, 15 yards? And then before you knew it, the Chiefs were close enough to, you know, score the last time. Did you think that was BS? Like he that he held him, like he touched his jersey. It seemed like a nothing to me, but I don't know anything about football. But I do think it was kind of an aggressive call by the ref, and it may have cost the Eagles the game. Well, if it's the one that I think you're talking about, I saw that defender grab him two or three times as he was trying to make his way down the field. Now that kind of stuff goes on. If if it's the same play I saw, to me it looked like a hold. But you know, they they sometimes they call it, sometimes they don't. But at that key moment in the game, if you're holding a guy and and he can't get to the ball, well then I'm I support them calling that penalty. Mm. I mean, it's one of those things where sour grapes, right? Because it's like the Eagles had many chance to win that thing last night, many chances. And yeah. they didn't make it happen. They were up by a lot, you know, at the half. And this is slowly but surely their lead was eroded. And that guy Mahomes just pulled a rabbit out of a hat. It was it was like magic well, I- watching him. And I also think, you know, that's that's experience, too. Now, those guys have been in the Super Bowl. I don't know how many times in the last few years. And so they're used to being there on that stage. And the Eagles hadn't been there in a while. And these players have probably never been there. Or, forgive me. I don't know the background of every player. But um, experience is is one of the best things you can have going on to the, you know, into the Super Bowl. Any any sporting contest, if you've been there before, you're better off than the guy who hasn't. Now, last but not least, uh, one thing we did not see in that Super Bowl was Joe Biden. He, after all this weird back and forth, he was going to sit. Well, he never said he was going to sit, but typically he would sit with the FNC anchors, Fox News Channel. They said they extended the invitation. He stiff armed them. Then suddenly the White House comes out and says, we agreed to an interview with Fox Soul, which literally nobody has ever heard of. It's some like streaming platform related to Fox. Nobody, nobody knows about Fox Soul. And after some, and they said that Vivica Fox and Mike uh, was Hill. one of the interviewers, and Mike Hill, and well, Mike Vivica Hill Fox, yeah. is an actress who was literally a Biden surrogate during the campaign. So uh-huh. he was going to sit with her, but not with Brett Baer. And Fox was going to allow it, Rick. They were going to allow it, right. and apparently the White House pulled the plug on it for some reason. Vivica Fox and Mike Smith were 
traveling to D.C. They said they were they were there waiting for him. In any event, to me, this is this is a disaster for Fox. They never should have agreed to an interview with Fox Soul, uh, much less with somebody who was actually a surrogate for Biden over the FNC anchors. They didn't treat Brett Baer correctly, I think, Fox. And um, Joe Biden was I don't you know, he was, shall we say, chicken. He was too chicken to sit with the real news anchors. And it's it's to his chagrin. He should be embarrassed. What do you think? Well, obviously, I think he should have done an interview with Fox and he should have done an interview with with Fox anchors. It could have been Brett Baer. It could have been any one of the news anchors at Fox News Channel. He should have sat down with them. That's what presidents do every Super Bowl. It's a terrific opportunity to talk about your agenda, to talk about what's happening in the world. That would have been an opportunity for him to talk about the things that are flying over our heads, that our military keeps shooting out of the sky. What's going on? And to not to 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 say I can't do that, ask answer real questions. And we all know why he can't sit down and answer questions. And then to say, okay, I'll do it with Fox Soul, and then to cancel again is just emblematic of the administration, hiding and deflecting and ignoring the 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 what America wants to know. Mm-hmm. It really was. It was a missed opportunity for Biden. Uh, I know that FNC tried hard to get it. And when there was that period of time where they were saying that he would sit with Fox Soul, but not with Fox News Channel and Fox Corporate was going to air it, which they were reportedly yeah. prepared to do. All I could think was Roger Ailes is turning over in his grave right now. He yeah, would. Why, why never... do you have to work hard to get that interview with the president on the Super Bowl when there's 100 million people watching? Why would you have to right. work hard for that? Right. He but he he would never, never have allowed Fox corporate to sell his anchors up the river like that. He had that kind of power within the Fox organization. And and Fox should be grateful this did not go forward. They should be grateful that there was not some absurd sit down between an actress who actively campaigned for him. (laughs) Forget Mike Smith. I mean, whatever. But just her mere presence there would have ruined the whole thing for those reasons. Instead of its main anchors, they should be glad it didn't happen. And Joe Biden missed a a great opportunity. All right. Stand by. Quick break. And then much, much more with Rick Leventhal. When we come back, we will talk about his new book, Chasing Catastrophe, which he really has done to some huge measure of success in his life. Pure Talk is once again investing in their customers without charging an extra penny because Pure Talk is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. That's right. As you plan your summer travel, Make sure your wireless provider has you covered at home and abroad. Pure Talk already puts you on America's most dependable 5G network, but now they're giving you coverage in over 50 countries as well. Unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than the half of what Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile will charge you. If you bring your phone, Pure Talk's eSIM technology will make switching so simple or you can get great savings on the latest iPhones and Androids. Consider making the switch to Pure Talk. Just go to puretalk.com kelly to start saving today. And when you do, you will save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, visit puretalk.com kelly to start saving on wireless at home and abroad. Rick, uh, on the subject of the uh, president refusing to sit with Fox for the Super Bowl interview, yeah. this news just coming across the transom. They had some thoughts on it over at the CNN morning show, which no one is watching. I mean, truly, like, I think more people might watch Fox Soul and and listen, 
<laughs> Listen to that crew, including Don Lemon, reacting to that news, plus the fact that there was a shot at the Super Bowl of Rupert Murdoch sitting next to Elon Musk in Saw one that. of the boxes in one of the boxes yeah. of the Super Bowl. Listen to the horror. When you talk about reshaping truth in the, the media ecosystem and you see Elon Musk um, and Rupert Murdoch sitting there together, that gets people to wonder. And for some, it is confirmation that, see, that's why he shouldn't have done the interview with Fox. It's all they're all in collusion out to get Joe and Biden they, and, and liberals and the administration. Were you that surprised, though, to see them sitting next to each other? I really I, I don't think I was that surprised. No. It stood out, but it wasn't like, oh, wow. No, it seems like the most predictable thing in the world. I was kind of surprised that they actually like, wow, they actually did it because it's a little frightening, I must say. <laughs> it's frightening. Really? Really? Collusion? Collusion. To see the head of Fox News Channel and the Wall Street Journal and New York Post and other media uh, conglomerates sitting next to Elon Musk, the head of Twitter. It's, it's a little I, frightening. I have, news, I have news for Don Lemon. All of these major billionaires always hang out together okay all the time they go to they go to davos they go to montana they go to all these other aspen and they hang out because who else are you going to hang out with you're going to hang out with the the mega rich like you so Mm -hmm. oh it's not it's not collusion i mean it there was collusion going on i think you brought it up earlier megan there was a lot of collusion going on uh with the entertainment situation and with the the, the people who are being featured on the advertising. Uh, but I don't think that was collusion. I think that was just a couple of guys who are very, very wealthy hanging out and watching the Super Bowl. It's so crazy, like how the left gets scared. They get scared of the well, fact that Elon runs Twitter. I can see why they might be scared because, you know, Twitter was doing the bidding of the Biden administration and was going after Trump every day of his uh, tenure. And now, oh my God, Elon Musk took over Twitter. So, oh, okay. Now it's collusion. And now like, so his reasoning is Biden was right not to sit with the Fox News channel anchors because the man who owns FNC knows Elon Musk. Wait a minute. What's the, what is like, follow that logic through. So why would he sit with news anchors whose boss knows the guy who runs Twitter. Does Twitter, what, it's mean to Joe Biden? Is that what he thinks now? Say what you will about Donald Trump, whether you loved him or hated him. He didn't dodge reporter questions. Well, he, he did didn't dodge the, the Super Bowl interview any, one time. He, well, he, listen, he, 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 was, he, had, he had press conferences pretty much every day. When he was coming to and from the helicopter, he didn't just wave. He would stop and talk, and he would answer a lot of questions. I, I mean, the guy was was transparent in that regard. He was accessible. Very accessible and very entertaining. And now we have a guy who, as far as I can tell, can't really finish a sentence, uh, loses his train of thought, gets names wrong, forgets where he is. Uh, It's it's a a sad situation, in my opinion. It's probably why he didn't want to sit down and do an interview with a Fox anchor, because he would have been exposed as someone who can't carry on a meaningful conversation and can't answer questions for 15 minutes straight without He's help. One step above his moronic press secretary, uh, secretary Canada, right? He's like one step above her to, to be charitable. Like his communication skills are about where hers are. Miss Nobel uh-huh. Prize, Nobel Prize. His word search, his 
stumbling around, his loss of train of thought. Remember when he confused, I think it was Title 42 with the COVID lockdowns, like he was all over the Supreme Court case. He he does like he loses his train of thought in a way that's really disturbing for the leader of the free world. So I'm sure that's the reason. It would be funny if it weren't so sad. I mean, it's sad for us, right? Because we're heading now into an election where they're saying he's going to announce and he's going to announce soon. And uh, he's the Democrats' last best hope. Like, there's not a real second comer there. Again, and if the Republicans again, run Trump, we could be this is, right back to where this we This is why I don't like covering politics, because it's just ridiculous what's going on. I, I, don't, I don't know how people do it. I don't know how journalists do it. My I whole love- thing, when I was working as a, as a correspondent, senior correspondent at Fox News Channel, I wanted to cover real news. I wanted to go where the action was. I wanted to go to the front lines of war. I wanted to go where the hurricane was supposed to hit. If there was a terror attack or a plane crash, I want to get as close to the scene as I can and then tell viewers about it. I don't want to go down to Washington and sit there in, in press conferences and congressional hearings and listen to people, listen to themselves talk. I, I wanted to cover stuff that actually mattered to people. And, and you know, even though you'd like to think that government matters, maybe eventually it does. There's so much nonsense between the inception to the to the conclusion of whatever it is they're trying to get done that um, I, I just I couldn't see myself being in that situation. So what about that? So this is interesting to me because you really are like a war correspondent. You're you're a rugged guy. One of the very great things about you. Um, but when we were at all at FNC together and you're watching Carl Cameron, right? Campaign Carl Cameron, who was great at what he did, neck deep in politics all the time. Are you thinking, yeah. thank God that's not my job? Yeah. But, you know, he was perfect for it because he was a big nerd and he was a yeah. wonk and he knew all the ins and outs of, of, of everything congressional. So he was the right guy for it. Plus, you know, he almost had that I don't give a damn attitude to go along with it. So he he took it with a grain of salt, a big one, and um, put a great spin, not a spin, but, you know, the way he reported it wasn't a typical congressional reporter. He he, no. he made it he made it fun and interesting and was real. And that's the thing that I think any reporter should should be first and foremost is as real as possible because he was always, and you viewers can never know tell. if you're talking, you know, if, if you're not being honest with them. And my whole thing was always to just tell it like it is. You could never tell with Carl Cameron what side of the aisle he favored. You really couldn't. He broke news that was yeah. I mean, he broke that President Bush uh, like drunk. Remember when President Bush was running the first time, George W. Bush. And oh, God, my God, I'm testing my own memory now in 2000. He broke the story about his drinking. Anyway, my point is he's done lots of breaking news on Republicans and Democrats. And I could never tell where he stood politically until Trump. And then he left Fox and he got very, very hardcore anti-Trump. And it was surprising to me to see him come out so strongly against the channel, against Trump. I never, yeah. I never knew. I never knew while, while I worked with him. The only other thing I knew about Carl was that he liked to drive fast like I do. Like he was, he was really? a madman behind the wheel. Yeah. Madman. Everyone talked about him, but they would talk about me and him in the same sentence because we both like to drive fast. Okay, so here's the thing about that we knew about you, Rick, was that, yes, wherever it was dangerous, you'd go. You were the first, you know, number number one with your hand up. But also you had a history with the ladies. You're like you were known as a bit of a ladies man. The ladies love Rick Leventhal. I'm sorry to break it to you here. I know you're a happily married man, but you always had lovely ladies who were after you or on your arm. Confirm or deny. Well, I mean, I, I. 
I guess I'm I'm grateful and um <laughs> I, I I was I've been blessed. Um I've been busy. I'm not sure what you want me to say about this, except that um I'm I'm finally actually lucky in love. I have yeah. the most amazing woman in my life. Kelly is just everything I've ever wanted. I mean, she Aww. is stunning. She is funny. She's smarter than anyone knows. And she is super sexy. And she is a hard worker. She is an amazing cook. Like this woman makes oh. me meals every day. And they are one is better than the than the rest. Um, we have the best time together. And I just I, I'm just so happy. I, I was never going to move to California ever in my life until I met Kelly. And it, it took five minutes and I'm like, I'm moving to California. I'll do it. Right. So I had you, to be with her. You both seem very much in love. It seems like very fireworky in a good way, not in the JLo Ben Affleck scolding each other openly way. Um, yeah. And I have to say, I'm very happy to see it because I, I know there have been like ups and downs in the love life and so on, as there are for most people. But you've always been yeah. such a solid, nice guy. So as your you. friend, I wanted to see you well settled. I'm so happy to see you well settled. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, settled is, is one way to put it. You know, our life is still, you know, kind of chaotic. We're all over the place. You know, we're doing shows from home. We built a house, remodeled a house in Palm Desert. We're back and forth to that all the time. We're launching a pickleball line. We've got patterns and balls that we're about to start oh. selling online and you know i'm not even sure what's next but but we're we're always uh busy we're doing a lot of different things and having okay, a great time doing it how does your lifelong need for adrenaline factor in because you know i mentioned some of the things that you've reported on it's no accident yeah. you were one of the first in afghanistan and iraq and you know all these hurricanes you and, like it's no accident it's no accident you were down at ground zero on 9-11 like there's something in you that's both a combination of lucky as a reporter, but also just, a, I don't know, an adrenaline junkie. Well, that for sure. Uh, I got a great uh, rush out of being there and 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 racing to scenes and, and being first on the air and um, being in the middle of a, of a cat four or cat five or or, or or a war zone. You know, I really did uh, feed off of it. And to me, it was it was such an honor and a privilege to to be in Iraq where I am right there with, with Marines, uh, their 20, the 20 year anniversary of that's Christian Galdabini, my cameraman in Iraq. And we were embedded with the third LAR and the two twenty three Marines. It's been 20 years. I'm going to a couple of reunions in the next uh, couple of months because, uh, these guys, you know, they, they invited me and I, I'm definitely going to go. Um, but it, it was, uh, it was something that I definitely needed to do. I, I wanted to be the guy who was there. I wanted to tell those stories. And I was so glad that I had a chance to do it. But Megan, you know how it is. After 35 years as a journalist, it, there came a time when I kind of didn't want to have to leave home on a moment's notice again for a day, a week or a month. I didn't want to have to do that for another three years. Um, I guess I felt like I'd been rained on enough, that I'd been out the door enough, that I'd paid my dues and it was I felt like it was time for me to just take a little step back or maybe a big step back and just, I don't know, write a book. So I did. Mm -hmm. I wrote Chasing Catastrophe. And, it, you know, it's some of the greatest stories I covered behind the scenes, um, stuff that people didn't know happened, uh, stories that I never told before um, that ha that occurred during some of these big events. And I'm, I'm proud of the book. It's uh, 
it, I think it's a good read. Everyone who uh, who I've spoken with who's read it uh, seems to think so. And I also recorded the audio version of the book. So it's my voice reading my book. I don't know if you've done that, Megan, but it's not easy to read a book out loud that you didn't write intending to read out loud. It's not like a mm. TV script. I mean, some I of these did, sentences are page long. I did the audio on my uh, book, Settle for More. And I, what I remember about it was like holding back tears in the sad scenes. You know, it was, it was a very, it was emotional for me. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because my first chapter is about 9-11 and I was, uh, I believe the first reporter to go live uh, nationally uh, at the scene. And that experience the whole day was in the weeks and months that followed was so devastating and so uh, just difficult to handle. Uh, I poured my heart into the the chapter on 9-11. And at the end of the chapter, when I was reading it in the audio booth, I broke down. Mm. Uh, I couldn't finish the end of the chapter. I started sobbing in in the audio booth. And every, the guys who were in there were like, whoa, what do we do about this? And I just, I was like, I just needed a minute to compose myself. And I did. And then it took me a couple of tries to get through it. But I mean, it was I still get chills when I see video from that day uh, or or talk about it or, or or read about it. I mean, it's it's part of me. I definitely suffer PTSD from being in the dust cloud, from watching the towers fall and for, you know, trying to 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 make sense out of what was happening around us that day. It was just so awful. Um, but it was important for me to, to put it on paper. And um, I think it's a I think it's a powerful chapter. Oh, you you are one of the reasons we know exactly what happened on 9-11. You were one of the few reporters actually there when the towers fell with the dust cloud, not knowing if you were about to live or die. Uh, and every year on FNC and all the channels, there, there would be a 9-11 retrospective. And your reporting was always featured heavily. I'm sure it still is. You Ooh. with the dust all over you. We have a little bit of that. Let's show the audience. It's sought too. How close were you to the building when this I happened? was in front of the door of five World Trade Center evacuating the people out of the building. And we got a lot out, and then it just blew. Back it up! Back it up! Back it up! All right, here we go again. Here we go again. I, I don't know what's going on, but this, the second building is collapsing, I believe. I don't know. I don't know, but this, this happened before. We can see the top of the building from here. Oh yeah. Oh, there it goes. There it goes. There it goes. There it goes. Oh. When it comes down, we're all right. We do need to put it down now. I think we need to put it down now. Here we go. chills watching that that um we had a tape rolling in the truck that day uh, one of the big one hour three quarter inch videotapes i think it was or half inch and it recorded that whole thing that you just watched and, and everything else that happened and somehow megan i i managed to hang on to that tape and fox is probably gonna be knocking on my door for it uh i, I don't know where it is right now but mm -hmm. I was able to transcribe it. And on that tape are the four and a half minutes that Pat Butler, the engineer, and I spent inside the truck when we ran from the first cloud, from the first tower when it fell, 
our conversation, you know, what the F is going on. We, the phones don't work and Pat's trying to call and call and call and cursing and cursing. And we're like, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Like just a sheer chaos and confusion. And then we go back outside when the smoke starts to clear and it's a whole different landscape with that moon dust all over everything. And anyway, we, we were, I had the whole thing and I was able to transcribe it and that's in the book. And this is the first time that that, that conversation has been shared with with the world and I, I don't know i mean i just think it's it's compelling and it's and it's uh, a representation of just how insane that day was mm. the the instincts of a reporter come into direct conflict of the instincts of a man to survive right the reporter is told to stay in the midst of the danger and get the story and a right. human's instinct is to run and preserve your life, which you understood was definitely potentially in jeopardy in that moment. Yeah, but I wasn't going anywhere. Uh, I knew what my job was that day, and I knew that we were in a, a in a unique position to be able to report on uh, what was the biggest story in the world at that moment. And we didn't go anywhere except to hide in an alley the second when the second tower came down, and then we're going right back out into the street and resumed our reporting. I mean, this was. Um, I knew I knew the importance. I, I knew the what we needed to do. And I and I just had to brace myself. You know, I had to put up that emotional wall and not let myself get caught up in in what a normal reaction would be and just try to focus on what my job was, which was to try and separate rumor and fiction from fact and relate to viewers what exactly was going on around us, which I did for, I don't know, 14 or 16 hours that day. And then you know, every pretty much every day after that until I packed up and went off to Afghanistan. But, you know, I do give a lot of credit to uh, to the crews who were down there um, seeing the most awful things that they could have imagined seeing. And obviously the most credit goes to the firefighters and police officers who were brave enough to rush toward the fire, trying mm -hmm. to save lives. And so many of them lost theirs. It was just it was uh, the worst day I've ever experienced. And uh you know, obviously the first chapter in my book. Oh, the last piece of that tape where you you guys have clearly put the camera down, but yeah. didn't turn it off. And you can that see that eerie silence where you hear a, a siren and like, that's it. And this is lower Manhattan. I mean, it's, you know, that's a bustling area with, you know, typically you'd have thousands of people on the street. And, you know, where we, where we, our satellite truck was parked at Church and Warren. And Church is basically 6th Avenue when it gets all the way downtown. And so we were about five blocks from the World Trade Center site, just up the street. And a jet engine and a big gear had fallen into the street from when the plane hit the tower. and was sitting right in that intersection, just across the street from us. And the, I think it was the FBI had put up some crime scene tape and we're taking photos of it when the first tower fell. And after we came back outside and there was that moon dust all over, all over everything, the tape was still there and the engine and gear were still there, but now it's covered in that dust. And my recollection is the agents came back out and they started taking more pictures because now the crime scene has changed, but it was all right there. It was all right around us. And the people who were coming out of that cloud who I, you know, my job was to, to try and interview people. Most of them, I didn't want to try and stop because they were clearly in shock. Um, but I wanted to try and get a sense of what they had seen and, and interview them if I could. So I was very tentative. I did try to talk to people and some people 
willingly talked to me and told me some of the most insane stories I'd ever heard in my life, you know, and, and I didn't have follow-up questions because I'd say, what did you see? Uh, what did you hear? And they're like, I was on the 80th story and I came down 80 flights and, or I saw the plane hit the tower and blah, blah. It was just, uh, the, the greatest test I think any journalist could ever face. Absolutely. Extraordinary. And, and the reporting that you guys all did that day, that's the reason I became a reporter. I was a lawyer at, on 9-11 in Chicago, watching the coverage riveting. I mean, as a, as a reporting matter, it was just stellar what you and others were doing. And it was the day I, th I thought, I, this is what I want to do. I, I want to wow. provide this kind of public service to my country. I can do it and I want to do it. And what I'm doing isn't anywhere near this important. Um, and, and just like, I don't know, Rick, when you, there was danger, of course, in the moment, but there were, there were lurking dangers that you probably weren't even aware of, like the toxins from that yeah. soot and the smoke. And you were down there for weeks. You know, yeah. I talk about this with JD all the time. Janice Dean, one of my closest friends, because her husband, Sean was a firefighter who lost all of his fellow firefighters on 9-11. And, um, they worry about it every day. You know, if, if he's going to come down with one of the cancers that the guy's got working at ground zero and you were right there. Do you worry I about was, that? Talk um, about I your think PTSD. I was fortunate in that they kept pushing the media further and further back uh, hour by hour and then day by day. So eventually we were a few blocks north of the smoking pile. So we weren't breathing that air up close every day like some of those firefighters were. Mm -hmm. I did wake up with a cough. Three days after 9-11, like a bad cough, so two or three days after. Um, but that was the only symptom that I recognized. And fortunately, I haven't had any health issues that I'm aware of that I could blame on on, on what I breathed that day. But the, okay. you're right that so many people suffered deeply. Uh, so many people lost their lives after the fact because of, you know, awful cancers and other things that they contracted from from being in that toxic environment. Mm. Can I just ask you, because we just heard this from President Biden, the State of the Union, talking about how January 6th was the worst threat to democracy since the Civil War. And I, it makes me so angry, Rick, at, to hear him and others talk about January 6th that way without, I mean, in that instance, he's, he's ignoring World War I, World War II, but ignoring 9-11. The, these, these morons, these pundits who actually talk about January 6th explicitly in terms of 9-11 saying it, this was worse. January 6th was well, worse than 9-11. They don't, I, is it just, is it ignorance? It, there's something inhumane about that comment. 100%. But the thing that struck me when January 6th happened, and, and I don't support what happened on January 6th, of course not. but I also didn't support the burning and looting of buildings across America during the protests that went on for months and months and months leading up to January 6th. And all the, the rest of the mainstream media was saying, oh, this is just isolated fires. Oh, these are, these are peaceful, pro, mostly peaceful protests. Where was the outrage when people were burning buildings and destroying businesses and and rioting and looting across America. Where was the outrage when that was going on? All of a sudden, that was okay because people were expressing their First Amendment rights, or and that was okay. But then when when a group stormed the Capitol building, all of a sudden it's a threat to democracy. Why? Because it's the Capitol. What about storming uh, the, the mom and pop grocery store that that was forced to close forever? What about taking over downtown? of so many major metropolitan areas. What about, you know, the crime that was rampant 
that to me was a much bigger threat to democracy, a much bigger threat to the quality of life that we all enjoy here in the United States. Mm-hmm. That's what bothered me, that that all of a sudden the media is like, oh, see, they're bad people. But what about the other bad people who were doing all that stuff for the last six, eight, 10 months? I, yeah. I just I couldn't wrap my head around why one thing mattered and the other thing did. You've waived your moral authority because you didn't speak up when these horrific behaviors were happening. You didn't care because BLM, you just wanted a virtue signal. And now you want us to take you seriously as our moral arbiters. arbiters? Well, we don't. That's what happened. We don't. And spare us your indignation over January 6th when you didn't care at all when cops are being shot and attacked and killed in some instances in some of these protests. And and you're going to lecture us about the Constitution, and the constitutional rights. What what about when the BLM protesters got in people's faces and said, say it, put your fist up right now, say it, say BLM. What about that? Did did that offend your dignity as a a promoter of First Amendment and constitutional rights? Because it did for many of us. Uh, The whole thing was such an outrage. My wife was fined $16,000 by Bravo for unnamed, unspecified reasons, which primarily we think was because she wore a hat that said drunk wives matter as a joke that someone gave her at her wedding shower. She had put it on for a photo for, you know, 20 seconds and Bravo forced her to make a public apology. She was like, of course, black lives matter. I don't have to support the organization. And this hat is a parody. It's, it's a, a joke. joke. Right. It's I'm I'm often drunk and I'm a wife. I'm a housewife. So what's the big deal? <laughs> right. Like, right. And, and as Lighten it turned up. out, BLM was was a sham. And, you know, allegedly there was a lot of fishy stuff going on. Where did all those millions of dollars go? But besides buying homes for some of the people who were in charge. Yeah. I, you know, I, so the whole thing was just so ridiculous and so twisted. And we were all forced to toe the line that someone else drew because they said that's what that's what we needed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah. it was also disappointing to me. No, I saw you guys got hit, too. I mean, I know what this is like, but you got hit over Hall- Halloween um, where you you dressed as Alec Baldwin. And they, and you got blowback because it was like di- un- un- not sensitive to the victim. It's like it's you know Halloween. <laughs> it's about insensitivity. At least Halloween right. is not a, a it's not a holiday for so, PC mongers. Let me just say this, okay? The original intent was to be a cowboy and an Indian, right? As politically she went as incorrect American. as that might be, my wife happens to be twenty, I think twenty eight or twenty nine percent Native American. So she was going to be a Native American and I was going to be a cowboy. And then at the very last minute, because Alec Baldwin had been in the news because he had just shot someone on the set of his film. Someone said, well, why don't you put a little blood right here and you could be Alec Baldwin. And like an idiot, I did it. And I'm not proud of it because I wasn't considering that a woman died and that people would say, what are you doing? Uh, He killed someone. Like, I'm amazed that you're still in the apologetic posture on this. It's Halloween. People go as Jeffrey Dahmer. They go as Jeffrey Dahmer. I know, but I should have just gone as a cowboy and everything would have been fine. (laughs) But, you know, and and I never meant any disrespect to the victim's family. I also am not a fan of Alec Baldwin. So that came into play because I used to play softball with him in the Artist Writers uh, Charity Game in East Hampton every summer. And the guy was kind of a jerk. 
So I was like, oh, yeah, I'll be Alec Baldwin because, you know, he's on the hot seat right now. And I'm so jaded from covering news for 35 years that I didn't really think twice about what other people might think about what I was doing. And it was only after the fact that it made every I mean, it was a news week. Okay, that I was Alec Baldwin on Halloween. My God, it's just like that. Of course, the sensitivity, the extreme sensitivity over what you can and cannot do on Halloween is just absurd. I mean, the, the there was a there was a a college not long ago that was recommending that its students inst- as at, to avoid risk of offending anybody, just dress up as letters of the alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We can't is Halloween itself is going to be canceled to, soon, right? Like you're not get, just costumes are going to be banned. Any attempt at fun. Halloween is there to provoke. It's really not about just dressing up as a letter. I mean, if you could see some of the costumes people used to wear at Syracuse where I went, you'd be horrified mm-hmm. by today's standards. That was back 88 to 92. But it was funny and nobody took offense. They understood this is part of the baked in nature of the right. holiday. Right. But the world has changed, hasn't it? And you can't offend anyone. I, Halloween was always my favorite holiday. I used to dress up as a character from Rollerball. Remember the movie Rollerball? Yeah. Like James Conn was in the original. Yes and, yes. and I would wear roller skates and I had a jersey and, you know, would pads and shoulder pads. And I would go down to Georgetown because I lived, grew up in the D.C. area. And we'd, I'd skate around Georgetown on Halloween night. They closed the streets. It was a blast. Um, that wasn't really offensive. I think I could get away with that costume today. But yeah. Cowboy and Indian? Kelly took a heart, got all kinds of flack for dressing up as Even Native though she's You can't Native wear American? that headdress. It's cultural appropriation. She's Native American. It's her culture. 20, right. 29%. Okay, I'm sorry she's not 50 or 100%, but come on. It, like you said, like why can't we just dress up as whatever we want because that's what you do on Halloween? Yeah, I know. It's absurd. It's like the whole thing was that that. Anyway, the, the whole thing is just ridiculous and I'm sick of it and I refuse to live like this. I'm just not I, okay. I don't accept these absurd standards that other people are imposing on us. And yeah. it's fun to push back. You know, it's like if you don't push back, then they're going to win. Then they will get rid of Halloween. And I don't know what will go next, but I don't want to live like this. And so and even if it w- the Alec Baldwin thing. OK, no, it wasn't in good taste. It's Halloween. You're not supposed yeah. to be in good taste. But right. half of the costumes out there are like these inappropriate jokes that are turns on what's in the news. And nine times out of 10, it's only funny if it's somewhat gruesome. Like it's mm-hmm. almost a coping mechanism. It's sort of like what comics do where they take something out of the headlines and try to find a funny slant on it. You you get offended. Stay inside. Don't go outside on Halloween. Stay inside and watch, you know, Stephen Colbert and you're going to be perfectly happy or just as miserable as you always are. But you're not going to be our problem. All right. Let me pause uh-huh. it there. So much more to get to with Rick Leventhal, the one and only. It's so great to catch up. Uh, we'll be right back in two minutes. Pure Talk is once again investing in their customers without charging an extra penny because Pure Talk is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. That's right. As you plan your summer travel, Make sure your wireless provider has you covered at home and abroad. Pure Talk already puts you on America's most dependable 5G network, but now they're giving you coverage in over 50 countries as well. Unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than the half of what Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile will charge you. If you bring your phone, Pure Talk's eSIM technology will make switching so simple. Or you can get great savings on the latest iPhones and Androids. Consider making the switch to Pure Talk. 
Just go to puretalk.com slash Kelly to start saving today. And when you do, you will save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, visit puretalk.com slash Kelly to start saving on wireless at home and abroad. So Rick, in addition to your war reporting, uh, which the book goes into in just vivid and very telling detail, uh, including the, the sort of the embed training that you had and how Geraldo didn't take it and went over there and blew it. Remember when he revealed the location of our troops, that whole thing. There's a great behind the scenes stories on all of this. Um, but you. let me fa- let me take you f- to some of your hurricane reporting. I, I learned some new facts about you in your hurricane reporting. You used to go no matter how dangerous the hurricanes were. And here's just a little taste of this uh, for the audience on how, the kind of things you'd have to do so that you could manage the reporting. This is SOT 5. And I had to upgrade my eyewear to some swimming goggles because we're really in it now. The beach is right over there, and this, this is Atlantic Avenue, and it is whipping off of there now. The, the... Whoa. Oh, my God. I was at the anchor desk for a lot of that reporting when you were out there. I was, you know, snug and cozy in my yeah. 72 degrees uh, studio, but you were out there. I mean, was there ever a moment doing the hurricane stuff that you were scared? Yeah, uh, the first one, Hurricane Hugo in 1989 in Charleston, South Carolina. It started as a five. I think when it hit us, it was a, a, a really strong three or, or a four. And I was in 120 to 130 mile an hour winds, hugging a brick wall, trying to make my way back to our room um, to take shelter until the worst of it passed. That's in that whole story is in the book. It, it, it was definitely a moment where I prayed and thought that I was about to die. But mm. I did love covering hurricanes. I had my hand up for every single one of them. I wanted to be there. That that What you just showed was from Daytona when we came around a corner and it was like a wind tunnel coming off the beach and it just blasted us. Pa- Paul Celeste was the cameraman. It almost knocked the camera off his shoulder. Um, but that kind of stuff was, you know, it was thrilling. It was also really difficult because no matter how many layers of, of raincoats and rain pants you have on, you're going to get soaked. And mm-hmm. you're going out there for 10, 15 minutes at a time, coming back in, trying to warm up, going back out again. It's it's a grueling, exhausting experience, but it was also really exciting. And I loved it. There was a funny story in there about your baseball cap and Roger Ailes. Oh, Can yeah. Another story that I never told. Um, we were covering a hurricane. I think it was on an island down in uh, Georgia and uh, no, Alabama. And I had my... Fox News baseball cap. But if you face the wind in a baseball cap, you probably know if you've ever done it, high winds, it's going to blow your hat right off. But if you mm-hmm. turn it around, you can keep it on your head. And when your your hair is wet, as you probably know, your your hair doesn't look good when you take your hat off. So, um, you know, maybe a little vein. So I turned my hat around backwards, which I've done many times. And I did the news. I was on Shepard Smith's uh, Studio B show. And I see my producer on the phone. And as soon as I get off the air, he goes, uh, Roger called the control room. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, and this is relayed by the producer. He said, if you ever wear your hat backwards on the air again, it'll be the last time you're on Fox News. <laughs> and I was like, what? He, I can't wear my hat backwards? It would have blown off my head. For whatever reason, Roger did not like the look, that backwards hat look. And I never wore my hat backwards on the air again until, God rest his soul, Roger Ailes died. And then I did another hurricane and I turned my hat around because I didn't want to lose it. 
I I can relate fully to this. I I did not do hurricane coverage for Fox, but a couple things. So he never wanted me. I would be outside of the Supreme Court and it'd be so hot. It would be when all the big decisions break in June in D.C. That's that's hot. And you'd bake in front of those white buildings with the camera on you and the Klieg lights. I mean, you'd just be baking. And uh, so I'd want to put my hair up, like just back or whatever, because, you know, you don't want your hair all over your face. So I just stuff it back in two bobby pins. That's all I ever do. When when my hair is up in the back of my head, it's just two bobby pins. I have very thin hair, so it's easy to shove. And he called down immediately and he was like, get your hair down. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, it looks too elegant. It's alienating. I'm like, elegant? It's two bobby pins. What do you, how is there nothing elegant about it? You want me to turn around and show the audience what I'm doing? And he never went. And now I see sometimes like Dana Perino will wear her hair up on Fox News Channel. And I think Roger Ailes would never have allowed yeah. that. They're, the only reason she's getting away with that is he's not there anymore. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell I, you. Listen, I know the guy took, I know he, he, he took a lot of heat. And I know that there are a lot of stories about things he did that he shouldn't have done. But he was always, you know, a, a great boss to me. I know that that everyone who worked at Fox when he when he was running the place respected him. I mean, his his state of the state of the network addresses, as you may remember, he would do them quarterly in the newsroom. You could hear a pin drop. It would be packed in there. And the guy was a genius and he was an innovator and he created a really special uh, network. Yeah, I'm not not supporting anything that if if any of those stories are true, you know, they are. He shouldn't have gone there. And and I don't support that, but I do appreciate uh, his genius and I appreciate the way he treated me because he was always really, really good to me. I know it's confusing. It's, it's complicated because he was the greatest leader Fox news ever had and ever will have. And he's the reason Fox news exists. And he kept, you know, he kept his hand on the steer, his hands on the steering wheel in a way that really led Fox to become the force that it did. And, you know, with all due respect to the current leadership, it's just, it hasn't been the same since, since he left. However, and it, for me, it's it's complicated, too, because he shouldn't have had that job, given what he was doing to women. And it and it's not just my own situation. I've spoken with younger girls who he really hurt. So it's like he he abused his power. You know, he abused yeah. his power and he and he he never should have been allowed to hold that post for as long as he did. We just were also scared of him that we didn't come out with it. You know, and, well, and so even now, like happens. I can talk about how he would not have allowed Fox Soul to embarrass Fox yeah. <laughs> News Channel the way that they were almost allowed. Never. That's because of his strong leadership. But yeah. it's like what he was so, doing and, behind the scenes made him unfit to lead. Well, and unfortunately, that that sort of thing happens in corporations uh, across America and around the world. Uh, he was not alone in his abuse of power. And, you know, he's not the only network boss to abuse his power. I mean, from what I've heard, pretty much all of them did. Yeah. Studio oh bosses, corporate Anchors. leaders. You know, it's it's unfortunate, but it happens. And and so, uh, yeah, it shouldn't be tolerated. Uh, but he wasn't alone in his yeah. alleged that indiscretions. Was one, that was one good thing about the Me Too movement is that, you know, there's that period where Ailes fell. And uh, that was, oh God, it was summer of 16. And um, it took another year for The New York Times to break the Harvey Weinstein scandal that NBC refused to air, even though they had it. Yeah. And they just refused uh, because they had their own predator running around NBC, a couple of of them. And um, it took a year. So 
all these news organizations were looking at Fox like disgusting, filthy place to work, toxic for women, which it wasn't toxic for women. There was one guy who was out of line and it happened to be the CEO, but it wasn't like, oh, my God, what a terrible place to work. And then they started falling like, you know, dropping like flies, Rick. Right. It was like, oh, how's it? What's it like working for Matt Lauer? That seems like a like a joy. How about Charlie Rose? How's that going? Or um, uh, who am I? I'm not thinking of the name over at CBS, uh, the guy. CBS. Uh, yes. Uh, Les Moonves. Les Moonves. Yeah. My God, the story's about him. Right. We could go down the list. And suddenly these other news organizations were a little less interested in covering the Me Too stories. Right. Uh, anyway, it's all all water under the bridge, but it's complicated with Roger. It brings up a lot of feelings for me, too. And I understand your love for him and respect for the way he treated you. And I, I share in that, too, uh, ironically and weirdly. Um, one of the other big stories that you that you broke. People may not know this because you had to break it via Twitter, which is kind of weird. Why they didn't just pop you up on the FNC when you had this news. I actually don't totally understand to this day. But you broke the news of Hillary Clinton's collapse down at Ground Zero in 2016, like two months before the election. You had that story because you'd been working your sources for years in New York City and somebody gave it to you. You had it solid. I had a great so I had a lot of great sources. You know, my my time overseas with Marines, uh, all the terror attacks I covered, I, I gained a lot of respect from law enforcement, federal agents, state, local police. You know, I had a great network of of guys I could turn to. A lot of them were members of the Joint Terrorism Task Force. So when when stuff would hit the fan, I would just start texting my boys and be like, hey, what's going on? What do you know? In this case, a guy called me, um, a, a high ranking, uh, I don't want to say who he was or where he worked to this day, but he was down at ground zero in uniform where the dignitaries would arrive and then depart after the ceremony, uh, the memorial ceremony on 9-11. And he called me because Hillary Clinton came stumbling past him with two Secret Service agents holding her up and and helped her get into her van a half hour before she was scheduled to depart. And he called me and goes, where are you right now? I'm like, I'm down at ground zero covering 9-11. What are you doing? He goes, you're not going to believe what I just saw. And I'm like, what's up? And he goes, Hillary Clinton looked like she was about to die. And he went into detail about what what she looked like and what had happened. And, and I was hearing a story that no one was reporting. And my producer at the time was like, you can't go on the air with that. No one else is reporting it. I'm like, yeah, but this guy saw it firsthand. He just, she's like, call him back, confirm it. So I called back my guy. He's like, buddy, her shoe came off and her follow on detail had to pick up her shoe off the ground and jump in the car behind her to, to, to take her to the hospital. I think they're on their way to the hospital right now, which they were. And then they diverted to, to Chelsea's apartment. And I had it. No one else did because my guy called me and gave me all the details. And so I had a live shot coming up with John Scott at the top of the hour. But prior to that, yeah, I put it on Twitter. I tweeted out like three or four tweets about Hillary Clinton having a me- some sort of medical episode. I went with a single source because my source was as solid as sources can be. And my tweet got, and I don't know if you can see it there, but that tweet got thousands and thousands of retweets and shares. And I had never had a tweet go viral before, but I, but these did. And I, I was told, and this is in the book, Chasing Catastrophe, that Trump, uh, at the time running for president, was down there at the ceremony, sitting next to Chris Christie, Rudy Giuliani, and uh, Bernard Carrick. 
And I think it was Carrick who saw the tweet, pass it to Giuliani, who passed it to Christie, who passed it to Trump. And they all read it at ground zero that I my reporting that Hillary had just left. And they were kind of like my understanding is like chuckling amongst themselves. Like that's two months like, before Election Day. Oh, yeah. And it could have swung the election. And the Hillary campaign would not answer our questions. Did it happen? What happened? Where is she? How is she? It took them, I think, eight hours before they finally came out with a statement. And it didn't help her at all. Um, and, and it wasn't that I hated Hillary and had to break this. It was news. It's news. And CNN went on the air and started criticizing my reporting for the next two hours saying, oh, Fox is the only one saying it. You can't trust what anything they say. Of course, it was Fox reporting this until that firefighter, God bless his soul, who happened to be near my guy and shot a 20 second video of Hillary stumbling and, and having to get. And that's that's I think that's the video right there. This is the video. Where you can see them holding her up. And it matched exactly, exactly what my guy told me and what I reported. And because of this, you see her, she almost fell. Because of this video, they had to stop criticizing me and turn their attention to the Hillary campaign and say, what, what's going on with your candidate? And then they were forced to tell the truth or, or their version of it. Oh, my God, the media. It's just so disgusting <laughs> and so biased in so many ways. It's not to yeah. say there aren't great moments like the reporting you did all those years. I mean, I have similar, again, back to conflicted feelings about it because I love the job. I love what the press is capable of. And I love my own history in it. You know, we talked about the 9-11 thing, watching you, watching Ash Ashley Banfield on 9-11 within three years, I was at the Fox News Channel reporting on 9-11, the, the anniversary. You made a very you know? fast rise. You did. Yeah. But it was because I accurately sort of al aligned with something that I knew would be good for me and that I would be good at, you know, like figuring out where to where your talents lie and how to best use them. That's half the battle of doing well at a job. But I remember the, on the five year anniversary of 9-11, Rick's, I was dating Doug. I had just met Doug and uh, I had to go to the Pentagon to do reporting uh, as part of our you know team coverage. I was a young correspondent. And it's just like, Something about 9-11 and, and reporting that's always stayed with me and your role in it has always been hugely important. And those things, that, my point is, that's what I think of when I think of what's good about the press. What does the press do that's important? Is it just a disgusting organization? No, the answer is no. There, there's still honest reporters out there and there's a history to be proud of. But man, less and less of it by the day, by the day, right? I mean, when you look yeah. around at the landscape today, how do you feel about journalism in America? I've, I've never seen the environment so fractured. I've never seen so many shortcuts being taken. It bothers me immensely uh, the, the the way things are being reported, the way stories are being told. Um, I was always about doing it straight up, being real with the, with the viewers, getting as many facts as possible on the air, uh, being aggressive and, and telling the truth. And I think that there are a lot of there, there are a lot of corners being cut. And um, it, it bothers me that we're not getting the news that we should be getting. And I would encourage people to watch uh, our show every day on YouTube, The Rick and Kelly Show. If there's room for more than one podcast in your life, The Daily Smash on YouTube and The Rick and Kelly Show on Patreon.com, where Kelly and I tell it like it is, uncensored and unfiltered. Um, so, you know, that's how I'm still being a journalist, Megan, by working with my wife now, but but telling stories yeah. the, way, the way they should be told. Well, I think that's amazing because one of the themes of the book and our conversation today is that you... Yes, you have chased catastrophe, um, but you were you never found the one, like truly the one. But then you found Kelly. And I yeah. don't think it's any accident you stepped away from your time at FNC 
once that happened, you stepped away from New York, something you thought you wouldn't do. And now you found a different way to be a part of the news, but also service your soul, right? Like nurture your love and be with this person who certainly sounds like your soulmate. So I feel like now nailed it. Well done. Thank you. Thank you for that. I feel very fortunate to have found her. I feel very fortunate to be where I am. I still love uh, the, I still love being a journalist. I consider myself a journalist still to this day. And I, and I love the stories that we tell. Um, I'm very proud of my book and I think people will really get a kick out of reading it. Uh, I am doing a book signing, Megan, this, uh, this coming Saturday at um, Fashion Island, the Barnes and Noble at Fashion Island in Newport beach. If anyone's in that area and wants to come down, uh, noon on Saturday, it's going to be a good time. Uh, Jeff Lewis and his crew are coming down from L.A. and uh, we have some special guests coming. And um, I never but, heard you know, anybody just, say a book signing is going to be a good time. What are you offering? Like, are you going to be drinks? Well, be, it, uh, <laughs> we, we have a very, really fun host. Uh, we're going to do some Q&A and, and uh, it's I, I encourage people to show up. I think they're going to really enjoy it. And, and I encourage them to buy the book, of course. All right. Well, um, let me let me know when you're out here on the East Coast. And I definitely will come I will. if you're out there in, uh, in L.A. with the beautiful weather and the beautiful people. Check out Rick and his wife, Kelly. So good to see you, my friend. All the best to you, Rick Leventhal. Thank you, Megan. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm proud of you, too. And my earpiece keeps falling. Next time I'll get better. I'll get better headphones. <laughs> okay. Next time. No worries. And don't forget, folks, the book is called chasing catastrophe and it is well worth your time thanks for listening to the megan kelly show no bs no agenda and no fear